talking about um, two atoms, uh, two trees, and two gardens. And I remember years ago preaching a message, the distance between two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then the tree of life that was nailed up, Jesus was nailed to in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, actually, Golgotha. Golgotha, it's interesting, too. It was known as Jeremiah's Grotto before it was Golgotha. That's where they went and got the stones to build the temple. No, you not. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. When Jesus was hanging there, you were a living stone. Getting ready to be built into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Anyway, two atoms, two gardens, and two trees. And do you think ever it's possible that both gardens are the same location? I, I suspect that they are. I, I can't prove it, but I really suspect that they are because everything seemed to revolve around Jerusalem. And probably that's where the Garden of Eden was initially too. And I know that it talks about four rivers and I could only find three. But then I thought, well, maybe the Pool of Siloam was at one time. A river. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. The important thing is it began in a garden and it ended in a garden. And the first Adam exalted his own will. And the second Adam, three times in the garden of Gethsemane, surrendered his will and said, not mine, but thine be done. Because he came to win us back to the Lord, right? Interesting too is he wore a he wore a crown of thorns. Well, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Go to Genesis two and verse eight. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord had caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's two trees. So then, so then he made the man, and he took, it's interesting too, because he took the woman from the side of the man, right? Well, let's read that, 221. Let's just read a little further. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh of that place, the Lord made the rib that he made from the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her there unto brought her unto the man. And the man said, Whoa, man. No, he didn't say that. Whoa, man. He said, This one this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called the woman because she was taken from the man. And then, of course, he closed the place of the flesh. And, uh, and then he closed the place of the flesh. But now go back, go back to the crucifixion and see that the Roman sword pierced the side of Jesus. But again, redeeming her from the curse. Piercing that side was redemption for the woman. He took the pain on himself, right? Can you see that? Okay, Genesis chapter 3. Let's read a little bit more here. The woman said to the serpent, now how many of you sit around and talk to a snake? Can I see your hand? So obviously he didn't look like the cobras that you see on the Egyptian helmets or anything like that. He didn't obviously. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he was beautiful. 
Matter of fact, he was so hung up on his own beauty. Read about it in Exodus chapter 28. He was in love with himself. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, obviously, she, she added something to the word of God here because he never at one time said you couldn't touch it, said you couldn't eat it. So this was a fig tree. So if you think that apple has a bite out of it, it's not right. Can you prove that? Yeah, but maybe we'll take time now. In, f in fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delighted, delightful to look at and desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Who, who was where? With her. Right there. Right there. Say bad man. <laughs> then the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And again, this is how we know that it was a fig tree because if you find yourself naked, you know, you're not going to run around and look for an apple tree and find some leaves. Whatever, like if you were naked in front of us right now, you'd cover whatever you could find to cover up, right? And so did they. And again, when you understand that it was a fig tree, it brings all kinds of other verses into play. Jesus cursed the fig tree, for example. No man eat fruit of you anymore. And that's the type of him coming to redeem us. Hallelujah. Anyway, so um, this was what I would call identity theft. They had already been like God. You couldn't any, be any more like God than God's son, God's daughter, which they were. But the devil tried to make them think that they were missing something. I said the devil tried to make them think that they were being shortchanged by God. Don't ever believe that lie. Ephesians 1.3 says he's already blessed you with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. You can't be any more blessed than you are right now. That's why he called in 2 Peter 1 for exceeding great and precious promises that you might partake of his divine nature and escape the corruption. But they only become precious when you make them precious. It's like I'm convinced that, you know, like I remember one thing Phil Driscoll said, some people play a trumpet, I am a trumpet. Well, some people might praise the Lord, but you are praise. You were created to praise the Lord. And so give it a shot every time. Every, you know, that's why he said, enter my gates with thanksgiving and enter my courts with praise. The password is praise. It's what we're supposed to be doing every day. Not just on Sunday when the praise team sometimes has to pump us up. I'm telling you right now, when we get it right, they won't have to pump us up. They'll have to slow us down. Yeah, absolutely. Hallelujah. Running around the church, that ain't done. Some people say, what do they run for? Well, why don't you? <laughs> a fanatic is somebody that loves God more than you. If you wonder what a fanatic is. <laughs> Hallelujah. But anyway, so here they are. They're stripped of self-worth. No way to cover it up. No way to make it right. 
And your identity is your destiny. If you lose your identity, you lose your destiny. What is your destiny? Anything that defines you has power over you. Anything that defines you. So if you had somebody that treated you bad when you were young, and that's where you got your identity, you need to get rid of that now because that's why the Lord came. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by renewing your mind by the word of God that you can prove the good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God for your life. Submit your body unto him a living sacrifice. Don't let any human define you. Amen. You get your definition of who you are from the word of God. In all things, you're more than a conqueror. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Hallelujah. See, but Adam didn't grasp the love of God. And so when his identity was challenged, he rose up in pride and declared his independence. He lost his identity and he lost his dignity. No, I'm just serious. Like when you know who you are, you're not arrogant, but you have an assurance. You have some dignity about you. It doesn't matter what other people say about you. There's this knowing on the inside, I'm a child of the king. I'm royalty. I am a royal priesthood, a chosen generation to show forth the praises of him that's called me out of darkness into this glorious light. So it doesn't matter what people say about you. I mean, I mean, I know it hurts, but it, that doesn't matter. What defines you is the Bible. He says, you're more than a conqueror. He said, you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. Who are you? Well, do you have time for me to tell you? That's, the way it, that's what ought to be our reaction. Have you got time for me to tell you who I am? Hallelujah. Or whose I am and whom I serve. So he lost his dignity and shame came, right? Shame replaced honor and cowardice re- replaced confidence. Fear replaced love. And again, I like to point out all the time that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. That's why 365 times Jesus said, or the Bible said, God said, don't be afraid or fear not. There's one for every day of the year. Whenever Jesus showed up, what were the first words out of his mouth? Fear not. Fear not. not. What did the angels sing when Jesus was born? Fear not. I mean, there's these, you know, that whole story was amazing to me that you've got these Levitical shepherds that are there raising the sheep for the slaughter. And they got them in these little caves and they're wrapping them in swaddling cloth to keep them from being scuffed up and mired. And Jesus, they're doing with Jesus the exact same thing. The real sacrificial lamb, the one that all these other ones represented, was being born that time. Oh, hallelujah. If that don't excite you. Yeah. So in, in Genesis 3.10... Adam said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. See, so the first thing that happens when people get away from God is not any other, it's shame. Got to hide yourself. Matter of fact, Christians today are still like that lots of times. You do something wrong and you want to go run and hide. 
No, you do something wrong, and that's when you come boldly. Come on, Hebrews 4.16. Boldly, not timidly, boldly onto the throne room of grace to obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. Not when you're walking in there and you got it all together. Hey, God. No, when you need it, when you've been broken down. I was watching Joni on Daystar, table talking. I I had the idea she might have watched us too. Because she said, I heard a preacher say one time, I don't trust anybody that doesn't walk with a limp. The only person I know that ever said that was me. I'm thinking, well, you know. But that's the truth. You don't trust anybody because you've been through some things. You know, you've you've been dropped. Mephibosheth was dropped as a child and became lame in his feet. Mephibosheth means shameful thing. 2 Samuel 4 and 2 Samuel 9, it means shameful thing. And that, and that was what they called him. How would you like to be called shameful thing? <laughs> but the Lord went and got him, didn't he? Yeah. King David said, is there any, anyone left from the tro- host of Jonathan that I can show Hesed to, covenant kindness to? Yeah. And when he went to get him, he was out in the desert hiding a, a man that still couldn't walk. And I'll tell you right now, you can't walk either without him. You know, there's a truth in that, that you're lame in your feet. Jesus washed Peter's feet. He washed the disciples' feet because he was saying, that's what you come in contact with the earth with. That's the thing that you need to keep clean. How do I do that? First John 1, 9, I confess the sin. He cleanses me of my sin and then forgives me of all unrighteousness. But I love it when he picked up Mephibosheth and he, he brought him into the into David's presence and dropped him at David's feet. And he said, Mephibosheth said, what do you have to do with such a dead dog as me? David ignored him and said, hey, get this guy dressed up just like the prodigal son. Dress him up and tell him he's going to eat at the king's table continually. I would like to say, you can eat at the king's table continually. It doesn't matter if you've been ashamed. Get over that. Get over that and realize that somebody loves you greater than that. So anyway, let's get back to Adam. Uh, God says in verse 11, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I command you not to eat from? And then he did what most men would do. (laughs) Blamed his wife. The man replied, the woman that you, and then, then he blames God. It was the woman that you gave me. No, but that's something you need to make sure that you don't do either. Accuse God of not loving you and not caring about you. Don't ever do that. Keep praising him because it doesn't matter what you're going through. He loves you. He said, I will never leave you. Is that Hebrews 13, 5? Yes. I will never leave you, never fail you, and never forsake you so that we can boldly say, boldly say, God is on my side. I will not fear what a man can do. Amen. So the man replied, the woman you gave me, she's the problem. (laughs) But again, the curse brought condemnation before it ever brought poverty or sickness or death. And man went really, he fell from revelation to calculation. He was, you know, he 
walked in wisdom and revelation knowledge, and the eyes of his understanding were enlightened, and he knew the hope of his calling. And when he felt, he lost all of that, and he had to require an education. Instead of revelation, he needed an education, and Satan made sure he got one. It took him 930 years, I think, to kill him, but he, but he eventually killed the guy. Up until then, there was no death, right? Genesis chapter three seventeen. He said to the man, because you have listened to your wife. Huh. Check that one out. Underline that one and put it on your fridge. No, no, no. <laughs> if you dare. <laughs> because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, do not, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you, and you'll eat from the means of painful toil all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles, and you'll eat the plants of the field. And really, when, when you think about it, it starts in Genesis 22, uh, a crown of thorns. But here, here, when Jesus wore that crown of thorns, where they put it on his will, let's read uh, John 19. Can we go to John 19? Verse 2. Because I'd always had this. Matter of fact, I taught this, and I taught it in error. I said, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, but not the curse of the fall. But it's not true. I mean, when he redeemed us, he redeemed us, period, over and over. And here's proof. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and clothed him in a purple robe. The crown of thorns removed the curse from creation. That's that's what the crown of thorns represented, Knock, putting that down on his head. So when he's hanging there, everything, everything was redeemed. What about pain in childbirth? And what about all those other questions come up? Well, learn how to walk by faith and not by sight, and you can deal with a lot of that stuff too. When he redeemed us, he didn't do a partial job. You have been redeemed. Matter of fact, when we take communion later, you need to remember that he took the third cup, the cup of redemption, and he said, "Let's let's." He he said he said, "This is my this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood." And as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. What am I remembering? That I'm redeemed. Amen. I've been redeemed. Now there's four cups in the Seder, and each one represents something. We're not going to get into that right now. But anyway, so he went from, so let's see how he went from the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, I think it's Luke 26, 30, Can somebody help me with that? Luke 26, 36, maybe. Hmm? So it's not Luke then. It must be Matthew. Tell me it's Matthew. Somebody tell me. Yeah. Matthew 26, 36. It says Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane. Is that it? Okay, good. And he told the disciples, sit here for a while while I go to pray. Taking along Peter and his two sons, the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said unto them, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. 
Going a little further, he fell down on the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but thine be done. Then he came back to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Now, what I want to point out here is he did this three times. He said, pray that that you won't fall in the hour of temptation. And I'm convinced that if Peter had prayed these three times instead of falling asleep, he wouldn't have denied Jesus three times. And so what do you get out of that? I get out of that that prayer is vital for your salvation. To, you know, it's not, I shouldn't say salvation, it's not going to get you or keep you saved, but it's in order to live a victorious life, prayer is vital. Prayer and praise are key pieces to your serving God. Yeah, so he said, verse 40, then it came to pass the disciples found him. No, I'm going too far here, too fast. 38, he said, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. 39, going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Again, it's the exact opposite of what Adam, the first Adam did. Now, if you want to know about the first Adam and the last Adam, that would be um, Corinthians 15, 45. It talks about the first Adam and then it talks about the last Adam. So this is really a story about two people. The first Adam and the last Adam. The first one let you down and brought you under a curse. The second one, read Romans 5 sometime and read it slow. Verse 40, then it came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said, so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Verse 41, so awake and pray, so stay awake and pray so that you won't end. Look at this, stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. (laughs) Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, my father, if if, if it cannot come to pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. I remember Jerry Seville one time saying he learned how to pray by standing on the edge of his bathtub. Because whenever he would pray, he'd fall back to sleep. You, you can do all kinds of things. You can watch TV for two hours and not get sleepy. Go, go read your Bible and pray for a little bit. <laughs> Why? Because there's a resistance to those things. It's like, you know, sometimes, like I, I sleep well most nights, but sometimes when I'm getting ready to speak on a Sunday, uh, the Saturday nights get messed up, you know. Because the devil would like to stop the word of God from coming forth. He doesn't care about me. What he cares about is the word. He came to steal the word from your heart. Don't let him do it. That's why you should never really look at the, at the messenger either. If you stare at the messenger too long, you miss the message. Like I like to tell people lots of times, I'm delivering the pizza. I didn't make it. I cooked it all day yesterday. Then I came today to deliver it. And if you don't like anchovies, pick them off. I don't like them either. 
But, you know, take the word of God. And leaving them, verse 44, he went again and prayed the third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said unto them, Are you still sleeping? Are you still resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is to be betrayed and handed into the hands of sinners. But he said, Get up now and let's go. My betrayer is near. And and so so here he is. Here he is on the Mount of Olives, and he's in Gethsemane. And Gethsemane is the, uh, Gethsemane is the oil press. And so when you and look, you can check out some of this stuff. It's fascinating. When you press an olive, you press it four times in order to extract all of the all of the oil out of that. And so here's Jesus being pressed in the garden until all the oil is extracted. And even Jesus Christ, his name Christ is Jesus, the anointed one. And so here he is getting a new anointing. And what's he going to do with it? He's going to die. Yippee. All the press. So, so yes, three presses. Did I say four? I meant three. Three presses and down the hill. So, so now he's leading Gethsemane and he's going down the Mount of Olives uh, toward Jerusalem. Luke twenty three thirty three says, when they arrived at the place of the skull. Now, once they arrested him, like uh, I have been there and it's really, you can see where he came down off the Mount of Olives from the Garden of Gethsemane. You can see where he crossed over the brook Kidron and where he came up the hill to Caiaphas' house where they arrested him. You can go there and see where, you know, Peter denied Jesus three times. And I never saw that before, but he didn't have to deny Jesus three times. If he had only prayed, if he had only prayed those three times, he'd have had the power because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is. See, so, but again, if you want to be a successful Christian, develop a prayer life. If you want to be a successful Christian, develop a praise life. And that's not praising because everything is good. That's praising because he's good. Yeah. Everything sucks sometimes. But I praise him because of Romans eight twenty eight through 31. All things are working together for my good. I love the Lord and I'm called according to his purpose. And what shall I say to these things? In verse 31, things, if God is for me, who can be against me? So it doesn't matter what circumstances are going on, what's going on in my body, what's going on in my finances. doesn't change anything. No, when you live in that other realm, you don't care what the, the, the cost of gasoline. Because you say, no, no, he supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So if it goes up to any higher, I don't know what people will do, but I know what I'm going to do. When I need gas, I'm going to go fill up my tank. And I'm not going to complain and murmur about it. I told you about that happened to me last Saturday or Friday. I was complaining at 6 o'clock in the morning to Nancy about something. And I heard the Lord say, and they murmured in their tents. <laughs> Right? Now you think about Canada and how blessed we are. If you'd been to Ukraine like we've been a couple of times, if you've been to the Philippines like we've been eight times, let me tell you, when you get back home, you want to kiss the tarmac at the airport. But after a while, you forget. After a while, you forget that you're living in one of the best nations in the world. And so you complain about Trudeau and you complain. <laughs> 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 
you complain about things instead of thanking God. Thank you. It's like he said to me one time, he said, you didn't thank me when gasoline was half the price it is now. <laughs> and if you had thanked me then, if you'd thanked me then, maybe, maybe you wouldn't have entered into the hour of temptation, right? <laughs> so anyway, so they come down off the Mount of Olives and they get, you know, they arrested Jesus, took him to Caiaphas' house and chained him to the wall. And you can go right there and see where they had them tied up and all that stuff. And they kept him there all night. And then, of course, in the morning they took him. It's interesting, too, that Pilate and Herod didn't even like each other. But when it came to Jesus, his Bible says, and they became friends. <laughs> no, the enemy of your enemy yeah. will become your friend. <laughs> I've seen that so many times in 30 years of pastoring. Man, I think they didn't even like each other before. Look at them now. Yeah. Uh, Luke 23, 33, when they arrived at the place of the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And it's, when you read the other Gospels, it's good to read all four accounts, because when you read the other accounts, you find out that the two people that were nailed up there with him, they both railed on him at first. But then they heard... They heard what he was saying, and the Bible says that he continuously said this for three hours from nine till noon. Father, forgive them. When you read the voice that it's in, it's continuous. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. What a thing to say. On your worst day, when you've never been treated so badly, where all, even all your friends and the disciples took off, He's saying, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. And he forgave them continually for three hours. And so, um, again, what, what Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Peter said, he really thought he was being a, a big shot. How many times should I forgive the guy in a day? Seven times? Jesus said, no, no, 70 times 7. And we, and again, I'd like to point out each time that that represents 490 years before they went into captivity. But it also represents the perfect number. 70 times 7 is a perfect number. And so when he's saying, forgive them, he's saying, this is what makes you perfect. This is what makes you complete, rather. You're already perfect, but this is what makes you complete. Forgive everybody. Don't hold anybody in bondage, because whenever you hold anybody in bondage, you hold yourself there also. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.